The Vexation of Barney Hatch, Part 2. Okay, what are you hiring me for? Barney asked plaintively. What do you want to stuff me for? Well, Santa Claus, of course. The man's voice implied that any fool should know that. Ours has gone home sick. We called the agency, but they can't get the substitute here until 1.30. Line of kids a mile long, yapping and yelping. Mother's getting mad, so they'll yank them out of the line and go somewhere else. If they go somewhere else, we go broke. How are we going to pay our taxes? He glared at Barney. Barney was not tax conscious. He was, however, conscious that he had no wish to play Santa Claus for a mob of children. His instinct warned him to escape while escape was still possible. He was about to take its advice when, in a rather peremptory manner, the vision of the gold seal bottle appeared in the air above him. Barney relaxed. His escort pushed him through a doorway into what appeared to be a dressing room. A scarlet suit, furred and benevolent, hung from a hook. I'll help you get dressed. On account of the pillow. Barney took off his coat and thought hard about the money he was making. Even with two pillows under his belt, there was something faintly melancholy about his shape. He tested the pillows against slippage. Uh, what do I have to do when I get out there? He said nervously. You sit in a chair by the Christmas tree, said the man, frowning at Barney's front, and you talk to the kids and you give them each a lollipop. What do I say? I'll promise them anything they want, especially if it's in the store. I don't know what's in the store. I promise them anything. And this pie-in-the-sky approach seemed slightly sinister. When do I get my money? Oh, that. <laughs> the man scribbled something on a piece of paper. Give this to the cashier when you leave. You come back here and give the man your suit. And I hope to God he's got more shape than you have. And then you can get your money and be on your way. Well, patting his front with a certain anxiety, Barney let himself be shepherded back through the store to where a glittering Christmas tree touched the ceiling and a small jungle of assorted children milled about, shouting their boredom and their lack of faith. Barney had an impulse to run, but his guide, perhaps sensing it, shoved them briskly into the throne-like chair and anchored him by putting a small child on his knee. The infant was fat, fair, and female, and Santa Claus regarded her with a marked distaste. He then thought of the three dollars and pulled himself together enough to inquire what the little lady wanted for Christmas. The little lady sounded off like a clockwork mouse, her list of vital necessities having apparently been ready for days and her memory excellent. When he took her off his knee and forgot to give her a lollipop, she demanded that that too, and Barney had to admire the tough grip she had on the situation. In about ten minutes, he was pretty well into the swing of things the Santa Claus racket being somewhat easier than expected. If a toddler wanted a grizzly bear in his Christmas stocking, all Santa had to do was pat his head and promise a den of bears and hand him back to his mama. This grandiloquent largesse with no responsibility speeded the passage of the two hours. And Barney had just promised a little girl with pigtails that she would have curly hair for Christmas when the small boy showed up. He was a very small boy even smaller than the other children, and he looked out of place in the line among the well-brushed, neatly-dressed household creatures who were patrolled by parents. His hair, if it had been combed at all, had been combed by his fingers. His pants were too short and his coat sleeves were too long. His face was dirty, and he stood with his hands thrust in his pockets and his chin sticking out. Barney recognized him. He was a street sparrow. And wherever else he might belong, he didn't belong in the warm, rich aisles of a big department store. The boy stood and stared at him, and Barney stared back. 
There was something about this kid's stare that was different from the others, and it took a moment for Barney to place it. Then he realized that the boy was looking at him as if he were real. The other children had looked at him as if he were a handy device for registering propositions. He felt a vague embarrassment, very foreign to him. He rubbed his nose with the back of his hand, causing his whiskers to lurch sideways. Uh, well, my little man, he said, uh, because that was more or less what he'd been saying for about almost two hours. Uh, what do you want for Christmas? What I didn't get last year, said the boy. He looked at Santa Claus long and hard. What you promised me last year and I didn't get. Barney pulled his beard back into position and tried to think of some way of counteracting this very unfavorable propaganda. Several children in the line were giving him rather cool up and down looks and Barney wished no complaints made to the management before he pocketed his money. He said with false cheer, Well, well, we'll do better this year, won't we? Just what was it you wanted? You know said the small boy quietly. The harmonica. It was a long word, but he didn't miss a syllable. It took Barney a moment to identify harmonica as the small musical instrument which was played like a corn on a cob. Must have slipped to the bottom of my back, he said cleverly. Imagine that happening. He gave a conciliatory, unsuccessful chuckle. (laughs) The boy regarded him calmly, but with unnerving watchfulness. Well, you'll get it this year for sure, said Barney defensively. You said that last year. I told you, it slipped down to the bottom of my pack. Here, he handed over a green lollipop. Take this and go away and be a good boy. If you aren't a good boy, you won't get anything for Christmas at all. Even as he said this, it struck him as a revolting philosophy. But it was backed by tradition. He said, hopefully, two lollipops? The boy shook his head and backed off. No, I don't want them. I want the harmonica. The line behind him was growing restive, and there was a faint murmuring of parents. Go go away, said Barney. Okay, I'll see you later. Not if I see you first, thought Barney, and turned with considerable relief to his next customer. The clock told him he had ten minutes to go, and then the world in a gold seal bottle would be his. When the clock hand moved into place, Santa Claus's eagerness to quit his duties was such that he nearly dumped the last child on the floor. In the dressing room, his replacement was waiting calmly, a cozy gentleman with a twinkle in his eye and a curve like a robin's under his waistcoat. The beard and his red suit merely confirmed that here was Santa Claus. Barney frankly admired him and hoped the small harmonica-seeking boy would turn up in the line again, pitted against the Santa who would know how to deal with him. Whistling, he sought out the cashier's desk, and in a few minutes he had exchanged his white slip of paper for three pretty green ones, underwritten by the Treasury of the United States. And now he had three dollars and fifty-seven cents. He would walk slowly to the liquor store. He would stroll, savoring every moment. (sighs) The very magnificence of the gesture would lay out a red carpet for Christmas. It would be glorious. Glorious.